Hi, everyone. Just a quick note before we get started, and I'm sorry for the audio quality. I'm on the road and literally talking in my cell phone right now. Um, but if you use Instagram, there's a fun opportunity to get involved in the podcast right now. The magazine Antiques is starting up a hashtag called My Curious Object. And if you have an object in your life that's interesting or that has a fascinating story behind it, or that's just plain wacky and weird or fabulous and beautiful, post it to Instagram with the hashtag MyCuriousObject and tag at AntiquesMag. And we're going to choose one of the most curious objects we see there and feature it on the podcast. I can't wait to see your posts. With that said, let's get started. I guess I think a lot about authenticity, and I know that that's sort of a social media buzzword, but I think it couldn't be more true when you think about, you know, the objects that we're surrounding ourselves with, to think about the craftsmanship and the history and the story and, you know, why it's important, why it should be important. Hello, welcome back to Curious Objects and the Stories Behind Them, brought to you by the magazine Antiques. I'm Ben Miller, and today we're going to have a little talk about animals, specifically a zebra. Now, if you're wondering what a zebra could possibly have to do with this podcast, stay with me, because that is just one of the firsts in today's episode. Another first is that my guest today is younger than I am. And if you ever thought that millennials don't appreciate antiques in the arts, get ready to change your mind. Levi Higgs is the archivist and social media manager for the jewelry firm David Webb. Now, David Webb originated in 1948, so we're not talking about antiques, strictly speaking. But... Don't let that scare you off, because the values of awareness of the past alongside craftsmanship and artistry are very much alive in this 70-year-old firm. And they're also very much alive in Levi. I'm also going to take you on a little field trip to the David Webb workshop to hear about the process behind the jewelry. This episode was a lot of fun to put together, and not just because we got to play with some very pretty objects. Um, but also because Levi is a lot of fun to talk to and wears his enthusiasm on his sleeve. As always, if you're curious to see pictures of the objects that we're talking about, um, head over to the magazineantiques.com slash podcast. I definitely recommend checking that out. Also, don't forget to send me your feedback. I really enjoy hearing your thoughts about the podcast and your suggestions for future guests. So send those over to podcast at themagazineantiques.com. Our sponsor for today's episode is America's oldest auction house, Freeman's. Located in Center City, Philadelphia, Freeman's has been telling the story of curious objects and collections since 1805. Today, Freeman's believes in a unique standard of one-on-one -on -one service, and their tradition of excellence has benefited generations of private collectors, institutions, advisors, estates, and museums. Their spring sale season offered 14 successful auctions, eight significant private collections, and four world auction records. Freeman's is currently inviting consignments of curious objects for their fall and winter auctions. So head to freemansauction.com to find out more. That's freemansauction.com. Let's do it. Um, Levi Higgs, thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm excited to talk with you about David Webb. Thank you so much for having me. I am hoping that you can give me a, a brief overview of the history of David Webb, um, both the, the man and the company. Um, so, yeah, he was born in 1925. He was from uh, Asheville, North Carolina in the South. He was a charming Southern gentleman. Um, and pretty early on, uh, maybe 16 or 17 years old, he moved to New York City. And, you know, at that time, I think he knew that he wanted to work in jewelry. He had um, an uncle back in the South that had done 
work with um, like souvenir ashtrays, and he, mm-hmm. I, he was a jeweler of some sort, but it was more a little lower collectibles level. and sure yeah. Um, yeah and and once david webb got to the city he he did work on 47th street a bit um and there was a few years there where he's really sort of figuring things out but um he founded his business in 1948 um with the help of a backer named antoinette quilleray she was a gregarious french woman who really helped him you know meet society women and get his foot in the door with the clients of new right, york city right. Um, so from there, it just really took off really fast. Yeah, really fast, right? Because pretty soon he was his jewelry was all over the covers of magazines. Yes, L- well said. Because in 1950, two years after he founded the company, he had a cover of Vogue. I mean, it doesn't. And he was 25 years old, so that's pretty pretty meteoric, as we say. I, it took me a lot longer than 25 years to get my first Vogue cover. I know <laughs> it's tough gig these days. <laughs> no, he was working at a time when. Um, some of us, I think, would think of the great jewelers of that period as mostly being European. Sure. Um, you know, Cartier had a shop in New York, but um, a lot of their great jewels were produced in, in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, same mm-hmm. for Van Cleef and Arpel. You know, we could go down the list. What was it like for an American jeweler working at, at that time to be in competition with these monster European houses? That's a good question. I feel like the sort of the antithesis to those huge companies was what he was doing. He was having this one-on-one conversation with clients. He was really listening to what women wanted and responding to that. And, um, you know, maybe that was a little more high touch than what other companies were able to provide. He was truly giving people what they wanted. So Webb uh, himself was active as a designer for a couple of decades. Yes. Um, and then when, when did he pass away? So he passed away in 1975, um, but he, he had pancreatic cancer. It was very sudden. He passed away in December of 1975. We have photos of him in 1975 looking great and happy oh, and wow. in the workshop. And uh, so it really took New York City by surprise and his clients and his workshop, his business, everything. But... Um, you know, he left so much behind and he had so much work done between 48 and 75. Uh, that, and that's what fills our archive. We have mm-hmm. forty to 50,000 original renderings and drawings and sketches that he left. Wow. Yeah. Um, and uh, after his death, what happened with the firm? Um, after he passed away, his accountant and business partner, uh, Nina, Nina Silberstein, she, she took over with her family and they ran it for the next 30 some years. Um, and then in 2010, uh, Mark Emanuel and Robert Sadian are business partners, and they, they took over the company. The current owners are really interested in, you know, going back to the original aesthetic, David Webb's sort of, um, you know, what he had. The when iconic he was, styles. Exactly, yeah. the right. iconic styles, right. yeah. And that brings us to your two very important roles at the company, yes. um, which are you're the archivist uh, and also the social media manager. That's true. And... Um, I'm, I am, you know, my title at, at my own firm is director of research. So Mm -hmm, I feel mm -hmm. something of a kinship with you over that. Um, and I find nothing more exciting than digging through the history of old companies and seeing what they used to be up to. Yes, exactly. Um, describe to me what the David Webb archives are like. What do you have? We have a tremendous amount and we're really lucky to have what we have because, because the company's only been through a few amount of iterations from his original 
you know, ownership as he was alive that, you know, we didn't, we didn't lose a lot. Um, a lot of companies do lose the, the paper materials, the invoices, all that, but we have it all pretty much. Um, so yeah, we have invoices, we have drawings, rendering, sketches, castings, moldings, everything. Um, at least we think we have everything. And, uh-huh. and we have, uh, you know, magazine editorial that goes back to 1948. Um, yeah, and I get to dig through it all, and uh, you know, with the help of a colleague, we um, digitize it and manage it, and uh, help the company sift through it. We're lucky that we have so much material that um, can inform how we move forward, and you know, we have style cards that are basically recipe cards of how to make every single piece that's ever been made. We have. Uh, drawings that have never seen the light of day that have never turned into jewelry pieces they're just ideas still that came from david webb's mind so that's exciting to be able to think about you know how we can flesh those out or or you know move them around and make them interesting so i want to come back to some of the contents of the archive a little bit later sure um but let's dive in right now uh, into the curious object oh uh, yes for this episode because absolutely um so so uh, tell me about this piece and and, so it's, and describe it for our listeners. Yeah, it's the David Webb zebra bracelet. It's our most iconic animal bracelet. Um, so it came out of the workshop in 1963. Uh, that's when it was originally designed, and that's when it um, came to fruition as well. Sometimes so things, he had been working for 15 years or or so. At right, that point. right, and you know through the 50s we see a lot of really sort of not surprising jewelry, jewelry that fits in with a lot of other jewelry at that time, the sort of gold and diamond uh, ladies who lunch jewelry. That's what mm-hmm. I always call it. Maybe that's not the best way to call it, but that's what I call it. I mean, I'm thinking Mad Men, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, this is what Don Draper's wife would wear or right. would dream of wearing. Right. So um, this, in fact, has been worn by, uh, or, or I should say, Zebra bracelets by David Webb have been worn by some pretty exciting people. Absolutely. It's probably our most popular animal design that we've produced over the years. So who who is the most famous person? Well, my have... favorite one that I always like to talk about and share is Diana Vreeland. Uh-huh. She was gifted one in the 60s, um, right when she went to Vogue in 1963. And uh, we have this amazing cover of Vogue that came out in 1964, um, that's a it has an Irving Penn photograph as the cover, and there's a woman holding her hand sort of to her face. She's got a zebra ring on uh, that goes perfectly in line with this bracelet. Okay. Um, she's got black and white eyeshadow on, and the, oh, wow. the typography on the the word Vogue is black and white. So yeah. it's just yeah. zoom this moment of everything coming together, the, wow. the ty- typography and the um, you know this cultural moment of the black and white graphic pattern, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, an extremely uh, compelling and cool color scheme, um, dynamic, high contrast, mm-hmm. and um, and Vreeland. Well, and I should say that it was, in fact, it became such an iconic uh, image that the David Webb logo is even that's a, true. Uh, a, a rendition of the zebra bracelet, right? Yes. So zebra bracelet aside, um, celebrities have played a pretty prominent role in 
getting David Webb jewelry out into the world and mm-hmm. in front of people's eyes. Who are some other luminaries who have been spotted seeing, uh, you know, wearing these pieces or buying and owning these pieces? Sure. Um, so some of our favorite to talk about, of course, you know, Elizabeth Taylor, Jackie Kennedy, Doris Duke. I mean, pretty much any prominent name in the 20th century we can dig through our archives and find a great record and of these women. You've just done a, a show with Dor- uh, of Doris Duke. Yes, exactly. Related to, uh, um, jewelry, it's called right? Designing for Doris. It's uh-huh. up in Newport through November okay. uh, at the Rough Point Mansion. And it's, it's uh, a look at pieces that she had designed as well as juxtaposing architecture um, renderings that she uh, uh, sort of advised on to okay. restore houses in Newport. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a great sort of adventure for the archive to pair with the museum and do some work that way curatorially yeah yeah that's a, a fun synthesis of the sort of what we might think of as the dry you know dusty old archival work alongside the sort of dynamic and sexy celebrity right representation right right and even even today we have you know amazing celebrities who wear us on the red carpet we have um amy adams and emma stone and sofia vergara um you know, great ones like uh, Reese Witherspoon and Gwyneth Paltrow. We wow. we catalog these as well in the archives, yeah. so that you know, even our current red carpet material is um, for the ages. Yeah, sure. Well, and and it's it's interesting to me. Um, you know, my day job is in a business business where um, celebrity is no longer play a role in the way that perhaps sure. they might once have. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, so. Uh, you know, for me, this idea of celebrity as a sort of being on the cutting edge of fashion and style is um, is rather unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested. I mean, how does um, how does David Webb as as a firm see its relationship with with its celebrity proponents? I think you know, even from the founding of the company in 1948, it's always been um, a piece of how he's operated and how he's been connected to society. They've been women that are captivating and powerful, and they really have projected him forward to get more clients, get more notoriety, to have his bold designs paired with these powerful women that, you know, it just, it, it's the perfect synthesis of bringing right. those two things together. Um, so I, I, I'm interested in this, the, 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 the role in the importance of animals uh, um, yes. in, in David Webb jewelry and design, because you know, as far as David Webb jewelry is, you know, to the extent that it's recognized in the world, mm-hmm. I think animals are really the iconic totally. form. Um, and this also, in my mind, this comes back to this idea of what distinguished David Webb as a designer from mm-hmm. a lot of his contemporaries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about this zebra bracelet, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of other animals that he used Certainly. as inspiration too. Um, so why, why why animals? What what drew David Webb to animals? It's a good question. We um, in our archive we have a whole shelf of reference books and sort of inspirational material that David Webb had uh, when he passed away. It was part of the company's you know records. So so we whenever we're giving tours we always talk about this is David Webb's reference library. And in the reference library is this great book called The Big Book of Wild Animals. And it was published in 1954. Um, and it has these amazing illustrations. It's a super iconic book from the 50s. Obviously, it wasn't a children's book that David Webb had when he was a child. Mm-hmm. He was an adult mm-hmm. man when he had this book. But he's you know, looking at it, and there's a 
tremendously great page of zebras and giraffes running together in the, the savanna. And, you know, a lot of his animals are sort of African mammals, like big jungle cats and the, the giraffes and the zebras and elephants. Um, so, you know, maybe he was Did inspired. Did he travel to Africa? That's a good question. I'm not sure um, because we don't have so much of the personal right. information right. about him. Um we don't really know that for sure. But he did um, spend his fair share of time at museums. Absolutely, yes. And and so part of the, the reference materials are, you know, books on jade and books on um, ancient cultures. And there's a big encyclopedia of fancy rope work and knots. So, you know, he's getting yeah, all right. these ideas yeah, from all these yeah. different places. Um, animals specifically feel really sort of fun and whimsical, but but his designs aren't super silly in the way that mm-hmm. maybe some other jewelers in the, the 60s were doing a little more fairy tale or a little more um, just childlike, I suppose. But his, oh, his animals yeah. have sort of a regality to them, uh-huh. um, but they're also friendly. I think that's always the distinction yeah. that we make. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, they're, um, some of them seem quite realistic. Sure, yeah. And others not so much right. i mean you see he, he also giraffes f- with zebra stripes sure um, or well fantasy white white. animals see, we have some unicorns we have dragons sure, right. we have the chimera yeah exactly winged horses and hippocampus uh you know like sea horses right straight out of mythology right um and and then when he's rendering those in the hammered gold repoussé cuffs that we also do it, you're, you know, you're bringing a, a mythological creature to like an Etruscan Scott style mm-hmm, gold mm-hmm. hammering technique. So. And it's interesting. I mean, the, you know, he was uh, living and working very close, not just to the Natural History Museum in mm-hmm. New York, but also mm-hmm. to the Metropolitan Museum yes, of Art. Yes. And we, we've heard it told that he went there, you know, once a week and was constantly, you know, looking at things and inspired. And um, so the, you know, Zebra Brace that came out in 1963 uh, and then in 1964, he wins the Cody Award, and he accepts that award at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Yeah, right. And it was given to him by Gloria Vanderbilt. She was a friend and a client, and she was presenting it to him. And he won pretty much specifically for his work uh, on animals, like animal jewelry, uh-huh. okay. specifically. So the, the the materials that are that you often see in, in mm-hmm. web jewelry, of course, you see the the same stones and the same metals mm-hmm, as you mm-hmm. find in any other jeweler's work. But sure. um, there are differences, I think, in where the emphasis lies um, in, in David Webb pieces. Um, that is, you know, you, you expect to see a lot of coral sure. um, and a lot of enamel mm-hmm. as, as on this zebra bracelet, which is covered head to tail, yes, literally in, uh, in enamel. It's 18 karat gold. Um, we, we do a tremendous amount of work with enamel. He really revived that, I feel like, in the 60s um, effectively. And it's a huge part of what we continue to do today. We, we have one enamelist in our workshop that's right on Madison Avenue. And she does great work, uh, of course. Um, we, we do uh, a lot of, as you mentioned with coral, you know, we have other hard stones like lapis or jade or rock crystal that are really iconic for us. Um, and we employ on staff, uh, people who can carve that and work it in a mm-hmm. specific way to, to do carved animal bracelets as well, among other things. Um, you know, we do some work with diamonds, of course, sure. um, I see some on the zebra's yes, head here. Yes, uh, precious and semi-precious stones, but it's usually about color and big, mm-hmm. bold gemstones, mm-hmm. um, cocktail rings, that sort of thing. Right. 
but but generally it seems like the emphasis lies more on the design rather than on the yes you know in contrast with like a harry winston for example sure sure um you're you in david webb you don't see the honking big rocks set on a uh, i mean they're there in the archive you know if we, we if we wanted to pull that out we certainly could but we we definitely focus on um other things at the moment with high color um mm-hmm. powerful design yes let's take a quick break here when we come back, we're going to dive into the craftsmanship side of the, the David Webb enterprise. Um, I'm going to talk with Levi a bit about that, but also uh, with one of the longtime jewelers at David Webb, so you can hear it from the horse's mouth. I also want to say a quick thanks to you uh, for listening. I really appreciate all of your feedback, your ideas, the uh, ratings and, and reviews that you leave on iTunes. Those really help us to get the word out. If you're enjoying the podcast, think about sending it to a friend. I really believe that the stories around these objects are universal and that there is tremendous value uh, for all of us in hearing them and learning about them and thinking about them. So it means a lot to me that you're taking the time to listen. And to those of you who are helping to get the word out and encourage more people to think about and listen to stories about these curious objects, thank you so much. Again, send your feedback to me at podcast at themagazineantiques.com. Many thanks also, once again, to our sponsor, Freeman's, America's oldest auction house. Located in Center City, Philadelphia, Freeman's has been telling the story of curious objects and collections since 1805. With international experience and comprehensive knowledge of market conditions, the specialists at Freeman's work closely with consigners and collectors to offer unparalleled assistance in the sale and purchase of fine art, furniture, decorative arts, jewelry, books, and more. Freeman's is currently inviting consignments for their fall and winter auctions, including Asian arts, fine jewelry, books, maps and manuscripts, Americana, British and European furniture and decorative arts, as well as 20th century design and American art and Pennsylvania impressionists. Ready to consign? Visit Freeman's online at freemansauction.com to learn more. Another subject that I, I'm interested in getting into with you a little bit, which is, uh, which has to do with the, the craftsmanship mm-hmm. uh, around these pieces and and the production process. Yes, um, and I am I'm looking forward to you know I've, uh, you've you've shown me around the workshop, mm-hmm. uh, which is a bustling place. Yes, um, and I'm excited to go back there and and talk with uh, one of your jewelers. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, give me a sense because. You know, jewelry manufacture can take a lot of different forms and mm-hmm. a lot of different companies. Mm-hmm. Um, take a piece like this bracelet, uh, for example. Um, sketch out for me what's what's the give me a biography of this piece in terms of the the uh, process of crafting and, and producing it. Sure. So this piece's birth certificate essentially is a drawing that we have in the archive that was hand done, uh, hand sketched on. A piece of paper with pencils, super rudimentary, but it's a great schematic of this piece, um, and that was done in 1963. But right. since then, we have you know the molds, and we have the workshop on Madison Avenue, it, all un, under one house, uh, one roof, I mm-hmm. suppose. Um, so you know it it gets molded, it gets it jumps around the workshop to different people who do different things to it, the enamelist or the stone setters or the polisher. Um, and you know, some of the people who 
still work at David Webb, have worked at David Webb for you know 50 some years. We have a polisher named Ray who polished Elizabeth Taylor's jewelry and worked wow. with David Webb when he was alive. And yeah. some of the other uh, members of, of staff have, you know, their fathers worked at David Webb. So I, I think you'll learn a little bit more about yeah. that once you go back and visit well, again. Well, for but, sure. And we were talking, um, you know, last week about how it, you know, there's very much a feel of a family business mm -hmm. in part because literally families have worked there. You know, multiple members of families have, yes. have been working there. Um, so how many, how many jewelers do you think uh, had a hand in making this particular bracelet? Oh, um, good question. Maybe five or six. Okay. Um, yeah, from from start to finish. You know, that's that's sort of a rough guess. I I try to know a little bit about what goes on in the workshop. It's super inspiring to go up there and see, um, you know, a piece at different stages of its life. I wanted to get a better sense of what this craftsmanship process actually looks like, so I went to the source the David Webb Workshop, right above their retail space on Madison Avenue on the Upper East Side. This workshop is buzzing with activity. There are gemstones out by the dozen. There are tools that I don't even recognize. It's a loud and busy place, as you can hear. I was able to talk with the jeweler there who has really seen it all. Well, Lorenzo. Yes. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. And um, I wanted to ask what your specialty is in the David Webb workshop. Um, well, there's a few of them. I do necklaces and bracelets. My specialty is bracelets, which is the uh, anything to do with animals. And how long have you been working at David Webb now? <laughs> Since 1978. It'll be 40 years this September. Congratulations. Um, and, and it was your father who brought you into into work here originally. Yeah, my father's been working here since 1964, if I'm not mistaken. And then he had to retire around 93, my dad. And you started here as an apprentice and then worked your way up, right? Yes, I started as an apprentice, uh, picking up garbage, Washing down the sinks, hanging out paper towels and towels, and do what everything else I had to do before I even sat down for a couple hours to work. That sounds pretty glamorous. <laughs> no, it wasn't so bad. How have, um, over the course of the time you've been working here, 40 years now, um, technology has changed. I imagine some of the tools have changed. Um, how, how has that affected your work, and, and how is what you do now different from what you did uh, 40 years ago, aside from taking out the garbage and, and that kind of thing well as far as tools nothing has changed really i mean i still got like tools that are 40 years old with me i really don't buy them but as far as the technology to making jewelry the cat department took over which it comes out a lot better now and a lot easier to assemble lorenzo told me that the zebra bracelet was actually one of his favorite pieces to work on at david webb and he described to me how after decades of production he and the other jewelers actually came up with a new and improved way of constructing the piece the old connection used to be a little more difficult. Not difficult, but it didn't do anything for the, the bracelet because if, if a, a piece of the bracelet itself, the, um, and the zebra especially, if a piece broke in the middle of the bracelet, we would have to take the whole bracelet apart just to get to that point. But now, when it's in the 90s, we, uh, we had an idea of making screws and tubings into the bracelet so you can just unscrew the piece that you want to replace or repair. 
That's, that's so it's more of a modular yes. kind of structure? Yes. Correct. And this change with uh, using a, a, a different kind of screw, or a, a screw, this is, um, is this the only change in the way that the Zebra yes, bracelet is made? Thing that, that's the only thing we changed about it. Everything else is still the same from back in the 1960s. Lorenzo told me that he only works on a small number of pieces at a time, maybe one or, or two in a day. Still, he's been working long enough to have made a lot of zebra bracelets. I would say maybe 100, 150 pieces I made of that one piece only. Wow. Yeah. And they're all out in the world now? Somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, somewhere. Have you ever seen someone wearing one out in in public? No, I never did. Never did. I wish I did because I would have said, you know, I made that. But I can't do that. All right, well, keep your eyes open. Yes, I will. Well, Lorenzo, thanks so much for talking to me. You're very welcome. I want to move us um, onto a a subject that's uh, a little more personal, um, which is to say, you know, uh, I think that part of the reason that I even know that... that, uh, you work at David Webb and that you uh, exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the reason that, that I found you in the first place uh, has a lot to do with uh, your presence in social media, your presence online. Um, you're a very active uh, promoter of jewelry, decorative arts, mm-hmm. um, uh, the history of craftsmanship. And, sure. And I'm... Um, as someone who's fairly socially media stunted, uh, as I am. um, That's not true. (laughs) Well, (laughs) uh, we don't need to get into that. But um, it is, you know, it's impressive for me to see the way that you are bringing these pieces and these ideas and these concepts um, out into the world and in front of people who might not uh, otherwise be exposed to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know, I'm I'm very interested in this idea of being an evangelist. Yeah, uh, right. around these things. One particularly, you know, well, there are a lot of people these days who are concerned about uh, new generations of collectors and enthusiasts and sure. and so on. So, what do you think? Um, what are people of our generation? We're both young guys. Um, what are our compatriots what are what is our cohort motivated by what you know, what what brings them into this world you know it's a really good question i i guess i think a lot about authenticity and i know that that's sort of a social media buzzword but i think it's couldn't be more true when you think mm. about you know the objects that we're surrounding ourselves with right now in in this very room as we record to to think about the craftsmanship and the history and the story and you know my background is in decorative arts and design history, and I just think about context every day, all the time. Right, um, right. I think, you know, if you're an, if you're a young interior designer, I don't think you can make informed choices unless you know, you know, how a, a rug is going to sort of translate across time to to people um, in the room that you're creating. I mean, that that's for any field. That's for tons of different sure. sort, yeah. sort of ways of thinking, but. Um, so yeah, in my personal Instagram, I've always um, tried to tell stories that give context and that talk about 
where things come from and how, you know, especially jewelry and, you know, why it's important, why it should be important. Um, and I don't necessarily think I'm preaching to just a young audience. I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of different people that are interested in that sort of thing that you can I do educate. forget sometimes that people older than us are on social media. Sure, of course. Um, and, you know, I run social media at David Webb, too, and that's, that's something that we think about all the time. What's the client want to see and how can we tell the story of the brand through through that medium because yeah. you know to be an archivist and a social media manager i always say it's all storytelling sure so right right um, it fits together perfectly honestly do you wear jewelry um i do i wear a, a david webb nail bracelet every oh, yeah. day i'm wearing it right now <laughs> uh, and it's part of our uh, tool chest nail collection from 1971 that we revived a few years ago um, and it's a unisex line, so I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's going to wrap us up for today. Thanks for listening. And a big thank you to Levi Higgs and to David Webb. I'll just remind you once more to send your feedback to podcast at themagazineantiques.com. Don't forget to subscribe and to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Today's episode was produced and edited by Sammy Delati. Our music is by Trap Rabbit, and I'm your host, Ben Miller.